Hello and welcome to another edition of Victor's Corner for Tuesday, December 3rd, 2019. I am your host, Victor Omoyo, and this is an impromptu episode of Victor's Corner. Um, originally, uh, Carl and I, were go- we were going to host another episode of the Codex Prime podcast tonight, but, you know, uh, things happened. Carl was feeling a little tired from doing, I guess, what it sounds like another, another overnight shift so hey being up since 4 30 a.m man i mean to come to come all the way through some treacherous roads icy 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 roads and whatnot snowy weather to do the podcast eh, might not be the wisest call so i decided hey you know what why don't i just uh hold on the fort yet again tonight and uh come up with an impromptu episode and talk to the people out there who uh, may be listening or may be watching right now on Facebook Live. So here I am. Um, I do have a few films that I would like to talk about uh, this evening, as well as get into into some thoughts about the uh, newest uh, uh, trailer for the Marvel Studios' next film, Black Widow, and uh, as well as a few other uh, headlines out there as well. So if you're tuning in, um, please sure to chime in on the comments here. If you're watching on Facebook Live, or if you're listening to SoundCloud, uh, hey, well, well, you can't leave a comment. Well, actually, you can leave a comment um, on our SoundCloud page if you're listening through through to the episode. But you know, chances are, you know, you're you're not going to do that. So why don't we just get into uh, the proceedings here? Um, for me, well, uh, things have been going going pretty well uh things have been quite busy on my end but i've had it had i've had a chance to have a relaxing thanksgiving um with my fiance we actually cooked some uh thanksgiving dinner we uh she cooked the turkey and it was delicious i made some homemade baked macaroni and cheese um it which which functions Better as a side dish, in my opinion. Um, I have come around to the fact that, yeah, uh, mac, baked mac and cheese, at least by itself, would function better as a side dish. So I will concede to my lovely fiance Monet to that point. But if you if you baked if you baked meat into the baked mac and cheese dish, then that could function as its own mac and cheese bowls. So I've seen recipes on YouTube where somebody's cooked uh, baked mac and cheese with lobster meat or crab meat, some with uh, bacon, um, others with like little chicken bits. So I might try to do that in the future at least. But it was a delicious meal. We had a great time, lots of great um, uh, drinks. We had some Merlot and of course a little bit of the bubbly. You know, well, not not Jericho's a little bit of the bubbly, which came out a few days ago, but we just had some uh, sparkling red champagne, which was quite delicious. And I also had some uh, uh, Kentucky Vanilla Barrel Cream Ale, which I will take a swig of right now. Uh, So you're a basic beer, which has a, a flavor, a hint of vanilla attached to it. So, you know, it's not bad. You know, I expected something that was a little more, a uh, little more of like a root beer, ice root beer float type of flavor. But it's just your standard beer with a t- twinge of vanilla flavor, so it wasn't that bad. Uh, but yeah, um, 
other than other than the Thanksgiving dinner, I I did a little bit of Black Friday shopping, albeit all online because you know I'm not a maniac. I'm not going to brave those you know, Walking Dead-esque crowds, you know, just hoarding and just like rushing into a department store to get some, you know, well, barely discounted items, which are which are 10% off at best, maybe. So I went out and I and I went on Amazon and I ordered a few, well, several um, uh, Blu-rays on the cheap, uh, which were like $10 or less for most of them. So I'm like, hey, you know what? I like these movies a lot, and I think they would make good additions to my collection. So uh, one of the one of the great finds that I, that I managed to pick up was Assault on Precinct 13, the John Carpenter original from 1976. Uh, this is one of his earlier films uh, in a wonderful uh, Scream Factory uh, or Shout Factory steelbook edition. Um, now, I do have... a I do have uh, several of John Carpenter's films. This one I have not seen. Um, I I do remember there was a remake that came out, I believe, around 2006 to 2008 or so, uh, which starred Lawrence Fishburne and Ethan Hawke. I haven't seen that one either, but I am looking forward to watching Assault on Precinct 13, the original. And because I, I, I am a huge fan of uh, Carpenter's work. Um, speaking of Carpenter, I did manage to get a steelbook edition, the three-disc steelbook edition of The Thing, which is one of my uh, favorite films of the 80s. This is just exquisite body horror right here. Uh, Kurt Russell, Keith David, Wilford Brimley. Um, this one includes a, a 4K restoration of the original film, as well as a 2K um 2k restored version on the second disc and then the third disc is full of extras and i can't wait to see what this looks like fully restored um if you haven't seen john carpenter's the thing i highly recommend it especially if you're a fan of horror films or horror sci-fi um if you're a fan of alien or any of the aliens films this one should be right up your alley as well and i have not seen the it's not a remake but i haven't seen i think it was a prequel uh, to the to the original. It was a prequel that came out in like the early part of this decade, like 2010, 2011, I believe. Haven't seen that. I had no interest in it, but please check out the original uh, version of the thing, another Car John Carpenter classic. And we see Brian Lopes on the chat. Uh, what's good, man? Welcome, the, philosoph the philosophical of UWO. Uh, another film that I picked up on the cheap on Amazon was Blind Spotting, uh, one of my favorite films of 2018. Um, David Diggs, Raphael Casal. Um, this is just wonderfully written, just great dialogue, um, a great exploration into many themes like race relations in Oakland, California, gentrification, um, and it's 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 just it's just really well really well made and one of the most original um, explorations of race relations and gentrification and all those themes that I've seen um, from a from a film of this of this type in this decade um, if you haven't seen blind spotting please give this a chance um, do not sleep on this do not let this pass underneath, underneath your radar um, I also got Damien Chazelle's film, First Man, the his biopic on Neil Armstrong, uh, starring Ryan Gosling. Um, impeccably made. I really liked the way it was shot. 
Um, I love that grainy uh, uh, film look, which kind of adds to the kind of adds like a documentary esque uh, feel for, of this film. Uh, Claire Foy is also in this as well. Um, this also makes a great companion piece to um, what is my favorite documentary of this year, 2019, which is Apollo 11. And um, I just like how impeccably well made it was, especially the uh, uh, moon landing, which was so well directed. Um, Damien Chazelle, this is his follow-up to uh, La La Land, his Oscar-winning film. So please check out First Man. Also, I bought uh, The Hate You Give, which I reviewed not too long ago on this podcast. Amanda Stenberg, uh, Russell Hornsby, Regina Hall, uh, Anthony Mackie. Such a great cast here. Um, this truly is a, a, a really good film. And it's, a, it's definitely a conversation starter. And and it's, and it's a film that really stands on its home on its own. It's not, it's not preachy. It's not you know. It's not it's not like a, a one of those after school special polemics. It's not that type of film. But it it is really substantial in its exploration of police brutality and race relations and racism and that and white supremacy. Um, definitely a film that's worthy of anyone's attention. Um, I also picked up uh, Miller's Crossing, um, the Coen Brothers 1990 film. Um, I really like this film a lot. Uh, I haven't seen this in years. Uh, this is with uh, G- Gabriel Byrne and um, the late, great uh, Albert Finney. Um, it's a great little uh, Prohibition-era crime drama um, with really good dialogue. Uh, John Turturro is in it, Marsha Gay Harden. Um Definitely one of the Coen Brothers' uh, most distinct uh, works in their early catalog. Uh, this one was released right after their uh, late '80s film uh, *Raising Arizona*. Um, if you haven't seen this one, it's it's definitely a very interesting one, especially if you're a fan of like unique dialogue and some interesting characters. And Albert Finney plays a pretty pretty badass mob boss, if I ever seen one. Uh, well, welcome Keith Cooper uh, to the to the Victor's Corner uh, episode, impromptu episode. Uh, I also have one of my favorite comedies right here, uh, Office Space. Um, Office Space, you know what? A brief story about this. I remember working at a uh, call center um, back in, I was like, oh, like, damn, I can't believe it's like almost 10 years ago. Uh, and it was such a miserable experience. And it was a job that, that I, I it was like nothing but an onslaught of rude rude customers. I came home, I felt like a total asshole every day. I took out my anger on those around me, and one day I just got fed up. And I and I and I stayed with that call center job for the money. I stayed with them for like about six months, and it was a miserable experience. And I got nothing out of it. And one day I just sat down, and I was at my wit's end, and I just popped in office space, and. I sat down and I watched it and it really spoke to me in that moment, in that time of my life where I was like, you know what? I don't have to put up with a shitty job. I just don't give a fuck anymore. And I really identified with Ron Livingston's character in this film. <laughs> and the next day, I kid you not, the next day after watching this film, I quit. I just quit on the spot. I put in my two weeks notice and then my manager was like, hey, you know what? You don't have to do that. You can just walk out right now. I'm like, cool, because I live in Rhode Island. I, li- I live in an at-will state, so you can a- you can actually like 
basically quit for any reason, and you can also get fired for any reason, shy of blatant discrimination. Um, but yeah, watching Office Space really inspired me to just leave a shitty job and never look back. And watching this film, it really res- it really has a special place in my heart, and I, I and I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's a great uh, Mike Judge comedy, and this is a great companion piece to his 2006 comedy, Idiocracy, which is another one of my favorites, which sadly holds up even more today than it did back in 06. But check out Office Space. This film is 20 years old. Oh my God, I can't believe that. <laughs> and yes, thank you, Keith Cooper. Thank you for affirming that. I'm going I'm to like your comment here. Call centers are absolutely the dirt worst. And... Yo, salute to all the call center employees out there who are just trying to make a buck. You're trying to make a living. Customers are hot garbage, and it's a job that that wears away on your mental health. Please, self care is is highly important, especially nowadays in this fast paced world of ours. Please take care of yourself. You know, don't let these customers get under your skin. But at some point, you got to get out the game, man, or the game's gonna get you. Um, got four more here. Uh, one is Missing Link, which is a a, a, a really fun and well-made uh, stop-motion animation feature by Leica Studios. Um, really cool film. I got this for like six bucks at Target. I'm like, hey, you know what? I really enjoyed this film. And my fiance really liked it a lot. I mean, in fact, she had a laughing fit watching it, in fact. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, you know what? I'll pick it up. I'll, I'll, you know, for six bucks, how can I pass it up? So Missing Link, check it out, especially if you're a fan of Leica's work. Um, also, in my view, uh, my favorite uh, DC Extended Universe film and their best one to date, in my opinion, Shazam. Uh, if you haven't seen Shazam, it came out uh, uh, this past April. Please do so. This is actually, in my view, the DCEU's best film. It's my favorite film, um, and then Wonder Woman is is in second place, and then second place, and then Aquaman is in third place. Uh, Shazam is just. It's a film that leans into its corniness. It leans into its um, all the cliched superhero movie tropes that you've seen and are familiar with by now, and it embraces them and actually makes fun of them in a way. It, it, it's a film that it knows it knows when not to take itself too seriously, and it knows when to bring in that dramatic heft to make you care for the characters. And Zachary Levi, I mean... I mean, he, you could tell he had so much fun with this role, and it's and it's it's a really fun movie to watch. Um, if you haven't seen Shazam, please give it a watch. Give give it a listen. Uh, give it a look. See, um, I would put this, I would put this ahead most MCU films in my opinion. So I know that might be a controversial statement. I know Carl might be clutching his pearls if he's listening to that point, but that's how I feel about it. Um. Yeah, and also a classic, which I haven't seen in many years, Home Alone, uh, the first film. And the first film is the only one that you need to, need to see. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Eh, yeah, you, you, can, you can, I mean, it's fine, but it wasn't needed. Home Alone 1 kind of said everything that needed to be said. And plus, it's, it's got, you know, Joe Pesci, you know, who's, who's, who's a excellent actor who I'll be talking about in in a film that he's featured in in just a moment but Home Alone this is a film that I used to watch repeatedly when I was a kid um I used to have the VHS and I wore that VH VHS out top to bottom um it's 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 a great Christmas film um it still holds up to this day it's still fun 
Um, it's still a joy, a treat, and of course, it has the late great John Candy. Um, watching it now, um, of one, th- those two burglars, they would have been dead within the first one or two traps. For example, taking a full paint can to the head, instant death. Um, you know, falling down, falling, having an iron falling right on top of your cranium, instant death, or a severe concussion at the least. Um, getting burned, getting your scalp burned with a blowtorch, third degree burns, you might, you might, well, die uh, from that too. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, if you try to replicate any of these in real life, and I don't recommend it, do not try that shit at home. Don't be an idiot. Um, yeah, you would be charged with manslaughter if you tried any of these traps in real life. So don't do it. But yeah, Home Alone, um, still a classic a Christmas film that holds up, and it's and again one of these childhood classics that still holds up. Unlike Space Jam, which is a pile of hot garbage, and Carl Carl disagrees, but then again, Carl and others like him are wrong. And last but not least, I bought Tombstone. Tombstone was a is a western that came out in the mid nineties. It stars Kurt Russell, uh, Val Kilmer. Um, Sam Elliott. Um, I I saw this for like six bucks on Amazon, and I'm like, you know what? I've want, I've been meaning to see this for years. I never had a chance to see it. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about it. I heard it was a, one of the most underrated films of the '90s, and I do want to check it out. So I will sit down uh, soon and watch this film, Tombstone. And I'm also I'm also a fan of good westerns as well. Um, so yeah, so those are all. That's my uh haul if you will, from uh, Black Friday shopping. And, you know, and most of those DVDs are like well underneath 10 bucks. Well, except for the thing that was like 25. But but I was like, hey, you know what? I like I like those films. They're really cheap. Let me add them to my collection. And that's what I did. So I'm looking at the uh, comments here right now. Kyle Chapman, the most diabolical hater this side of the Mississippi, has joined us. So what's what's good, my friend? Um... Yeah, so we are here. We're doing it. So yeah, um, speaking of movies, excuse me, um, I do have three that I would like to like to chat like to chat about, which I've seen this past uh, Thanksgiving weekend, and they're all well, yeah, they are all all in theaters now, including one that's that's in theaters and and on Netflix. Uh, the first film that I want to talk about was an is an interesting film. Uh, which came out this past weekend, and it's called Queen and Slim. Uh, Queen and Slim is the uh, debut feature of uh, a video uh, music video director Melina Matsukas, and it's written by Lena Waithe. And the film stars Daniel Kaluuya um, and let me see, Jody Turner Smith and Bokeem Woodbine, Chloe Sevigny, Flea of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I believe. Yes. And um, India Moore, who's who's uh, one of the uh, act, uh, who's one of the stars in my one of my favorite new shows, Pose. Uh, Queen and Slim. It's a it's a it's a sort of like Bonnie and Clyde esque um, road trip movie, and it's about two uh, two uh, two young uh, a, a young African American couple uh, played by Daniel Kaluuya and Jody Turner Smith, who um, are on the run after they kill a police officer in self-defense. Now, in the beginning of the film, now to back up a little bit, the film begins with um, Daniel Kaluuya's character and uh, Jodie Turner-Smith's character, who I'll call Queen and Slim 
um, uh, throughout this review. Um, they they begin with them having a having a sort of a lousy date at this diner, and um, and Queen she's kind of condescending. She's an attorney, and she's like. And you know she's just basically not having it. She kind of she's kind of turning her turning up her nose at Daniel Kaluuya's character, who's kind of seems like a more more like more like a blue collar type dude. He's very very chill, very laid back. Um, and and the reason why that Queen is even on the date in the first place at this diner is because well she had a bad day, and apparently she lost in her client lost in court and so she just needed to talk to somebody about it well she needed a warm body to kind of occupy her attention um uh, to kind of take her mind off her bad day and that's why the date takes place and so and there's and, and she's so pretentious too that there's a there's a part in that in their date where uh where slim is like hey can i ask you a question and then queen is like i don't know can you and then and then slim is like yo chill we're not in school you don't have to correct my grammar and so like the, so it's, it's not it's not going so well and then you know they drive they you know they drive home and um and and they're kind of they're kind of flirting a little bit like queen takes takes a slim cell phone and she's holding it away from him and then as slim tries to reach over to grab his cell phone his car swerves just for a moment but because his car swerves that catches the attention of a of a police officer who pulls him over and this cop this white cop is such a fucking douchebag like he basically takes a routine stop and escalates it all the way up to 11 without needing to so he basically you know, condescends to this to this black couple. He tells him to get out. He uh, asks. He orders him to open, pop the trunk open, and and then all of a sudden, uh, the the cop pulls his gun on Slim because he just doesn't like the cut of his jib. You know, you know, skin color and all that. And then when when Queen comes out and she reaches into her pocket to record the the incident, the interaction, the cop hauls off and shoots Queen in the leg. Which only grazes her, and so Slim, in in an, in an act of pure instinct, tackles the tackles the cop down, wrestles the gun away from him, reaches over and shoots him dead, point blank in the head, and it's all captured on the cop's body cam, uh, uh, dash cam footage, and so knowing that knowing that you know they're basically fucked six ways from Sunday. Both Queen and Slim have to go on the run as fugitives, and they have to leave the lives that they've known behind. And all the while, they're they're hiding out. They're finding different places to hide. They're they're finding um different um contacts that they know that they can that can kind of help them out a little bit. And as that and as they're on the run, they're actually you know growing closer together, and they're actually forming a genuine you know romantic connection. Um, I thought the I thought the film was was pretty was well made um i th- i thought I, I thought lena waith's script uh definitely tr- definitely uh traveled into some really interesting directions particularly uh some of the supporting characters that they meet on their journey for example uh bokeem woodbine uh plays uh queen's uncle who happens to be this pimp who unfortunately cannot command the respect of his ladies and Bokeem Woodbine, um, he basically like he he's kind of like reticent about helping out Queen and Slim, but because he kind of he knows about their that they're fugitives, and you know he he eventually decides to help them out because of a very serious matter that involves uh, some history between himself and Queen. 
Um, I thought I thought his character was 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 a standout. Um, India Moore, I expected more from from India Moore's character, but but they but they appear as mostly a, a glorified cameo. Unfortunately, um, uh, India Moore's character doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue. She's kind of there for just to be sort of like arm candy to uh, Bokeem Woodbine's character, which is unfortunate because you know after seeing India Moore. Uh, as Angel on Pose, which is such a fantastic show, and and she plays such a fascinating character, I really wanted to see what she could bring to the table here. But unfortunately, this film doesn't really give her much to work with. Um, but but you know that, but that's 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 one slight issue I have that doesn't take away from the film. Um, what what I, what I thought kind of diminished uh, my uh, over overall feelings of the film were some was some really. What I felt were some really um, um, implausible moments in the film, which which sort of which sort of kind of took me out of the narrative a little bit. For example, there's one scene um, in the film where they're er- where, where it's where it's early on in their um, in their you know road in their flee in their you know retreat, if you will. Um, and there's a scene where um, Slim. She, he walks into a gas station because you know they they are they're out of gas, and he tries to uh, stick up. He's he's afraid because he's not, he's clearly not a killer. He's not a thug or anything. And but he tries. He's trying to stick up this white, this gangly white, uh, p- practically pimple faced uh, uh, cashier at this uh, gas station, and and the cashier is clearly not intimidated of him at all. And he decides, hey, you know what? I'll give I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll ring you up. I'll I'll give you gas for free. But let me hold your gun. I want to know what it feels like to hold your gun. And and Slim, he hands this dude, this this white kid, the gun, and and the kid is pointing his, aiming his gun at Slim, and you and you don't know which way the scene's gonna go. And it's like, dude, you handed this, you handed some dude, your, your loaded gun. Are you are you kidding me? I I th- I thought that was a really dumb moment, which kind of took me out. But uh, but it also. But it also kind of made me think about the the just like the sense of like invincibility that that some that this particular white character had that he felt so secure to not only not be intimidated by this black this black person or any person for that matter walking into his gas station a gas station with a gun but even having the temerity to ask him for it and you know point it at him with no with no qualms I thought that was a really strange moment um, but. Uh, but Queen and Slim, um, I think overall it's a fine film. I think I think a lot of it. There's a lot of elements that work. For example, like the the growing uh, chemistry between um, between Dan- Daniel Kaluuya and Jodie Turner Smith. I, I I did like the soundtrack of the film. It, it, it's a curated collection of some of some you know of some recent and some um, now older tunes. Uh, there was one. There was one um, particular song that uh, played on the soundtrack, which samples uh, Fela Kuti's uh, classic track "Shakara," which I thought was really dope. Um, I for, I don't know who sampled it, but I thought that was a really cool addition. Um, there's also uh, one of Solange's songs featured on the soundtrack in the film from her latest album, um, and also um, it it was also cool hearing uh, "Still Tipping" uh, from Mike Jones. And um, Paul Wall from that kind of took me back to my U- URI undergraduate days from like the mid two thousands from oh four oh five. So that, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, <clears throat> um, 
I think the I think the film Queen of Slim is is worth seeing, despite some niggling, some middling flaws here and there. That was like, that kind of got under my skin a little bit in terms of like some of the uh, illogical moments that some of the characters did. Uh, but other than that, I, I do think Queen of Slim is worth your time. It's definitely worth a matinee. Um, it is a film that has a lot to say about police brutality, about um, how how black bodies are not only um, are oppressed in in, soci- in American society, and, and in particular how um, how victims, how the oppressed, sort of take up a almost folklorish uh, uh, folklorish. Um, um, not not approach, but like a folklorist ascent, if you will. Once they once they rebel against their oppressors and people start being inspired by their example, um, sometimes for the good and sometimes for the ill. Uh, but but yeah, Queen of Slim. It's 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 a good film. It has a lot of good elements. I am looking forward to seeing more films from Melina Matsukas, seeing her develop her craft more, uh, with feature films and seeing more films written by Lena Waithe. I think she's a very good screenwriter, and um, and I think it is worth checking out, especially if you're a fan of Daniel Kaluuya's work. So, and Jodie Turner Smith. Hey, I know this is her uh, her her feature film debut, so. Looking forward to seeing more work from 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 all of these uh, creative players. So yeah, check out Queen of Slim. It's what worth the matinee uh, screening? Um, another film that I that I that I've checked out as well, which is one of my favorite films of 2019, is Knives Out, which uh, which is written and directed by Ryan Johnson, who wrote last year, who wrote um, not last year's but the year before, um, Star Wars: The Last Jedi which I think is a great Star Wars film by the way and I I think it's it's you know totally unfair that it's received so much backlash um from uh from fans and trolls alike but hey that's just my opinion uh Knives Out it's a murder mystery um which kind of it was just sort of reminiscent of Clue in some respects um it's got a great uh, ensemble cast uh, it stars daniel craig um anna de armas chris evans jamie lee curtis tony collette michael shannon christopher Plummer, don johnson and lakeith stanfield and in this film a knives out it's about a it's it's about a whole family uh the uh robinson on the, on the thromley well the thromley family and uh they're all gathered um, after the family patriarch, um, you know, is murdered, or was he? And the family and the family patriarch is played by Christopher Plummer, who is this famous uh, murder mystery author who has built his fortune um, off of his books. And 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 after his death, you know, all the all the family they're kind of trying to figure out who done it and why, and they all have various motives as to why they could be the killer. And Daniel Craig's character steps in. His his character is this uh, this this uh, nationally renowned um, private investigator named Benoit Blanc. And Daniel Craig is so terrific in this film. He his he he gives such a delicious performance in Knives Out. He plays this uh, this private det- private investigator Benoit Blanc with such flourish and gusto. Uh, he. 
has this this slick southern drawl, which kind of makes you think of Foghorn Leghorn drinking Southern Comfort. <laughs> that's that's what the image I had uh, when I was thinking of um, Daniel Craig's uh, character, and he's so good in it. Like he's just very charismatic. He's like a kind of like a Southern fried Sherlock Holmes in how he's able to piece together clues and discern um, characters' motives. And what makes what makes Daniel Craig's character stand out is um, is the uh, is the other leading performance by Ana de Armas, who plays Marta. Marta is the uh, is the uh, is the nurse of Christopher Plummer's character who dies in the film. And she's trying to figure out who killed, you know, uh, Christopher Plummer's character and why. Meanwhile, other people, other members of the family are kind of looking at her uh, with suspicion as well. And 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 what's what's cool about March about Anna de Armas, Armas's character Marta is that she has this uh, this thing where she's she's averse of lying like she 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 doesn't like to lie and in fact whenever her character lies she vomits so anytime she throws any anytime she lies or even if it's like a little fib she just pukes but so when she when she pukes that's when you know she's lying so that kind of adds a, a, a interesting and original wrinkle to uh, the murder mystery because here you have a character who not who is not only um, who, who no not not incapable of lying but not only finds it very difficult to lie but that kind of um, but that kind of like and that kind of like kind of boxes her in a corner as as she tries to figure out how to navigate um, how to navigate this whole mystery. And uh, you have uh, Chris Evans, Chris Evans, uh, former Captain America, who plays uh, the the black sheep of the family, uh, this douchebag uh, named um, Hugh, and uh, or Ransom as he goes by, and his character is such such a such a dick, and <laughs> just just see just seeing him and how he tries to worm his way through the mystery is kind of intriguing as well. Um. And of course, there are other great supporting turns as well from Tony Collette, who plays this kind of like hippy dippy uh, liberal uh, character. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, um, who's 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 sharp as attack in this film. You like she's one of those like characters like you can't bullshit around because she knows how much it costs. Uh, Michael Michael Shannon, who plays uh, the son, who's very embittered about his station in life and how his father views him. Uh, Michael Shannon knows how to turn up the creepiness and the intimidate intimidation factor just enough where you just kind of squirm in your seat whenever he kind of tries to muscle his way or impose his will um, uh, over characters. And uh, Don Johnson, who plays who plays uh, another douchebag in the film, a philandering one at that. Um, it, it, this is this is such a a fantastic film. Um, of course. I cannot get into any of the details of the plot because that would be spoiling it. I will say about Knives Out, the less you know going into the film, the more enjoyment that you'll get out of it. Um, I really loved how well-constructed and well-written the film is um, and how each character is so is so developed to where you understand everyone's everyone's motives for potentially committing the crime and also seeing you know, the chemistry between uh, Daniel Craig and Anna de Armas um, 
is really wonderful, especially um, uh, the character of Marta, who's an, who's a heroine that you can easily root for. You understand her circumstances and and how and and why she's motivated to do, to, to do the things that she does and for who. And I think that this is a this is a great star-making vehicle for Ana de Armas, and I would love to see her in more projects as well. Speaking of her, I know she, I know she and Daniel Craig will be featured together in the next James Bond film coming out next year, No Time to Die. So that's going to be really interesting, seeing another another espion, well, seeing the, seeing another spy mystery uh, element. A film, another film with, with those spy mystery elements transplanted it to a venerated franchise like the 007 series. Um, but yeah, um, if you're a fan of murder mystery films a la Clue, um, even <clears throat> um, and others, uh, please check out Knives Out. Uh, it's ri- written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Uh, Ryan Johnson certainly knows how to direct and create a an outstanding original uh, film. And and I think a good companion piece to this, to this film would be Ryan Johnson's debut feature back in 05, I believe it was 2005. It's called Brick, and Brick is a high school high school mystery noir film which stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So check out Brick if you're a fan of Knives Out. Let me get a swig of beer for the working man. That's some good vanilla vanilla barrel. Um, And last but not least, um, one of my favorite films of 2019. And this is a film that I've been waiting for uh, since I actually first uh, made the announcement of of this film. Um, I think it was, excuse me, I think it was three years ago. It was three years ago on the Codex Prime podcast. I think this was when Aris and Maurice were still the co-host. And I remember first hearing about Martin Scorsese making this film. And I'm so glad it's finally out. It is on Netflix and it is uh, featured in limited release in theaters. And it is called The Irishman. And this is Martin Scorsese's latest gangster picture his latest crime drama and it stars and it's, and it's a true life crime drama starring Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel, Bobby Cannavale, Ray Romano, Stephen Graham, uh, Catherine Narducci and Anna Paquin. So a tremendous cast here. And the Irishman um, is a three and a half hour epic uh, crime drama, which which uh, kept my attention, which I'll get into more. But uh, this film stars Robert De Niro as Frank Sheeran, uh, the Irishman uh, in the title. And uh, the film follows uh, uh, Frank Sheeran, who was a truck driver who became a hitman uh, for the mob, who was involved in the uh, Buffalino crime family, who was just led by Russell Buffalino, played by Joe Pesci, who actually came out of retirement uh, to star, star in this film. And, um, and the film follows his time with the Buffalino crime family, Frank Sheeran, as well as his time working with uh, the Teamster president, Jimmy Hoffa, played with much gusto by Al Pacino. And... <clears throat> 
And I got to say, I absolutely loved The Irishman. Um, it's like I said, it's three and a half hours. And it is a testament to Martin Scorsese's directorial prowess, as well as his longtime editor, Thelma Schoonmaker, who who managed to create a three and a half hour film that does not, at least for me, feel like it's runtime at all. Like I sat down and I watched and I watched it through and I took like one break just to get something to eat. But at no point did I ever feel bored or disengaged uh, throughout watching this film. I think what, what really stands out are the three main performances by Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci. And I, I think it's really cool that that um, Robert De Niro uh, has reunited with Martin Scorsese to do this film. I think their last film together was Casino back in 1995. And also, this is actually... Um, um, Al, Pac Al Pacino's first collaboration with Martin Scorsese, which which I think is great because uh, I think Al Pacino and Scorsese should have done more should have done you know more films together, but hey, one is better than none. I say, um, see, seeing seeing these seeing their performances was was um, was a real treat, especially with Joe Pesci because Joe Pesci actually came out of retirement to do to do this film. I think his last. Uh, live action film was I think ten years ago, and prior and prior to the uh, production of this film, Robert De Niro and Scorsese actually reached out to Joe Pesci about fifty times to 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 persuade him to star in the film, and each time Pesci kept kept turning him down, turning him down, and then eventually I guess they wore they wore him down, and Pesci decided, yeah, let me star in the film, and it's a great it's a great thing he did because. Uh, seeing Joe Pesci's character, uh, Russell Bufalino, in this film, The Irishman, um, it kind of it kind of made me think about it. Kind of made me see his character as sort of like a a wizened and more mature and more mellowed version of his hothead mobster character from Goodfellas. Like, what if his character from Goodfellas survived and kind of grew into a wise? Uh, wise Don, if you will, and what I really liked about Joe Pesci in this film is his performance, which is so, which in which he commands such a presence, he commands respect and authority, with 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 just like with just, with just like like just like nice you know almost fatherly avuncular uh, gestures to how he relates to Frank Sheeran, how he kind of relates to him as like his protege, um, how he kind of tries to impart advice to other to other parties, particularly Al Pacino's Jimmy Hoffa, how he tries to be, how he tries to center himself as like the voice of reason. And, and just seeing Pesci kind of like, uh, command that respect and gravitas without having to, without having to go into like full hothead old school Joe Pesci, uh, Goodfellas mode. I thought that was, I thought that was really, it was, I, th I thought it was like really sublime to see that. And, uh, also seeing Al Pacino in the film, you know, you know, doing his thing as as a uh, Jimmy Hoffa, I thought I thought his character, his take was really interesting because you have a character who, um, you know, he styles himself as like you know a champion of the working man. He's a he's the president of the Teamsters, and um, he's he's a union man through and through. But yet he has uh, but yet you know he he's a. Uh, He's also not one who's immune to pettiness, so he's sort of like another, another take of uh, 
another type of powerful uh, uh, criminal authority figure who kind of lets his impulses, he who lets his uh, pettiness sort of like kind of control him in some ways, which is kind of like which is kind of like direct the direct opposite of Pesci's Russo Buffalino. Um, there's there's also a scene in the film with Al Pacino's character Hoffa where which I call the dumb motherfuckers monologue, and you'll know it when you see it. Um, and seeing just 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 seeing just seeing him just like go off on his uh, his flunkies in that scene, how he goes from zero to sixty to to kind of like ten was was kind of <laughs> kind of got a chuckle out of me. Um, and of course, uh, Robert De Niro's character as the title character of The Irishman, Frank Sheeran. Uh, this is without a doubt one of De Niro's best performances, and it is so refreshing to see De Niro back in that element of showing us why he is, along with Pacino, one of the greatest, greatest legendary living actors today. Um, his character is like a sort of like, sort of like basically a sociopath where, where he's a character who looks at life very practically where he 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 gets involved with the mob purely for financial reasons like he's just trying to take care of his family but at the same time um he does things that that deliberately distances himself from his family like he's he's very adept like it or not he's very adept at killing he's very adept at being a hitman being the heavy the tough guy the enforcer if you will and so that's a strength that uh, Sheeran leans into much to the much to the detriment of his family and especially his oldest daughter, um, played by uh, Anna Paquin, who who has who barely has any lines in the film, but for very good reason. Um, Anna Paquin's character, um, and even uh, back with the with the younger version of her character, played by another actress as a, as, a, as a young girl, she's very intimidated by by her father Frank Sheeran because she sees she 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 sees and she knows that that Sheeran is capable of great great and terrible violence and her character conveys that that fear of like living with someone who on the one hand is a loving father figure who doesn't who's not violent towards you, towards them but knows knows that the reason why they're they're living the way that they are living knows why they're living in such comfort is because of the pain and the death that that her father is is wreaking on other individuals and just seeing her character kind of function as like um the represent representation of what frank sheeran uh was fighting for but also lost but could never have because of the way he lived his life was was rather poignant um I and 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 there's also a scene in the in the film which I won't get into, but there's a scene where uh, uh, Robert De Niro has to make an important phone call, and watching that scene, just watching him stammer and trying to get this phone call through, is just was really like a shot in the gut to me because it was like, damn, it's it's like all of his, all of the collective weight of his actions are like bearing down on him, and still, still he has to. He has to maintain that facade in order to kind of like preserve his standing in the in his in his you know mafioso circle. Um, now now another element about the Irishman, which which also stands out, which which the film is also known for, is the CGI 
uh, you know, specifically the the CG the did de-aged effect uh, used for um, De Niro, Pacino, and Pesci in particular. Uh, since the film um, follows these follows these men over the course of several decades, the film kind of starts in the, start, the film begins like around in the in the mid to late 1950s where Frank Sheeran is like in his late 30s, early 40s. So you're seeing um, Robert De Niro uh, playing a, a Playing, playing his character in that, in that late 30s, mid 40s vibe. And, you know, in looking at the CG, um, it didn't really, it didn't really bother me. In fact, I, in fact, to be honest, I didn't really think about the CG that much, you know, watching, watching them perform because, you know, they're such great actors and they're able to disappear into their roles that, you know, seeing the de-aged effect, I thought, I thought it worked well in the film. And it really didn't take away from the experience, although it's not entirely perfect, specifically where, excuse me, specifically where um, you see these actors moving around as the, as their younger as their younger selves. So there's a scene where uh, Robert De Niro's character, uh, Frank Sheeran, um, gets wind that um, some some store clerk disrespected his young daughter, Penny. Um Let's see, uh, Peggy. I'm sorry, Peggy, and so and so Robert De Niro takes his daughter Peggy to the store, and he he marches into the store. He tells his daughter to wait outside, and he marches into the store, and he like beats the shit out of the store owner who disrespected disrespected his daughter. So he throws he throws the store owner through the glass doors. The, the glass doors shatter. He throws him on the sidewalk, and as he's like kicking him, like you see this youngish this youngish face of De Niro. But you can tell that it's still De Niro, like his full body, like physically, he's still physically acting out the role as as a younger version of his character. But he's still moving around like, you know, current day modern De Niro, who's like in his 70s. So you're seeing Robert De Niro, like, you know, moving around kind of like, you know, you know, moving around like an old man kind of fidgeting and like kicking and stomping this this poor dude. Who, uh, this store owner, but you can tell it's, it's like an old man, you know, putting the boots to a to a younger guy. So that part kind of like that was the only part that kind of took me out of the film, where it's like, okay, so the CG, you got the CG faces right, but at the same time, these are still the 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 actors acting out physically, acting out the their characters. So there's definitely a, a little bit of incongru incongruousness there, but. But that was like a minor moment in an otherwise uh, impeccable film. Um, uh, what what also what also stood stood out to me about the Irishman and why I think is is one of Scorsese's best films and also one of the best films of this year uh, is that is its theme of of the I guess like the futility of that gangster, that criminal lifestyle. Like, yes, you have these characters, these mobsters, these mob families, these, these, you know, union presidents who are, who command such power and command such, such wealth. But in the end, what does it all mean? What, what did it all amount to? And I think that that speaks to the film's theme of, of mortality, where you have all these characters all the pain that they caused, all the power that they've that they've muscled, all the weight that they've thrown around, and at the end, they're all withering away. 
they're all getting older, they're all dying off, they're they don't have much of a legacy to leave behind besides some besides some infamous sto- news stories about them. Um and, and and also what speaks to that is that theme of the futility of the gangster lifestyle is that throughout the film you it it it, it introduces several, you know, real life uh, characters, real life criminals who were involved in this whole story. And the and the film kind of pauses on these characters, and it shows you the name of the character, how they died, and when they died. It gives you like the date, and like so. For example, it's like um, like uh, this this mobster shot six times in the head, August twentieth, nineteen eighty. This mobster got strangled to death, um, September thirtieth, nineteen eighty two. So you kind of see like so you, you kind of so you see where all these stories eventually end for all of these powerful. Uh, figures um, that were able to, you know, throw their weight around in their heyday, in their prime, but at the end, it all amounts to nothing. And, and I think that's a big theme in, in the Irishman, where yeah, yeah, you know, on on the surface, it's easy, it's easy to, to to glorify that gangster, that criminal, that mafioso lifestyle, but at the end. You know, if you manage to live that long, if you manage to survive, what have you got? You know, in most cases, you know, you've alienated your family, you're dying of some terminal disease, you know, you're 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 withering away, you're you're not the per you're not the man you used to be. Um, and you've got other people who've kind of maybe taken over your operations, maybe muscled you out. I don't know. It's it's a lot of it's, it's, it's kind of like thinking about what what kind of legacy you're leaving behind and what does it really amount to when your legacy is basically built on the foundation of pain and death. Um, so yeah, that I think that that's a theme that's really present th- throughout The Irishman. Um, and also, what makes The Irishman so poignant for me is that looking at looking at this film, it really is the end of an era. Uh, because you have, you know, Martin Scorsese, a legend, legendary uh, filmmaker who's made such other classic crime films like like Goodfellas and, you know, Mean Streets and Casino, and you have, you know, his re- his you know re- reuniting with uh, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci and Harvey Keitel. and of course, and you know, working with Al Pacino, you know, seeing these actors together. And this and this director together in one, one great crime drama. It, it reminds you of how good they are together and how well they work with this material. But it really is the end of an era because you know you know look you know Pacino and De Niro and Pesci they're they're up there they're, you know they're old timers and they're they're living legends, and, you know and and, and I think you know. Uh, Pacino and De Niro, they'll they'll continue to make movies until they're no longer able. And Pesci, Pesci, you know, I think that he might go back into retirement. But you know, seeing these seeing these legends together one last time, you know, it's like wow. If 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 this, if this is the last type of movie or the last movie movie that they all do together, then it's a hell of a way to to put a cap in and and their legendary respect legendary bodies of work 
so yeah, I've I've waxed poetic about uh, the Irishman uh, for quite a bit now. But yes, um, please, if you have three and a half hours to kill, um, and if you're in even and if you're a fan of Martin Scorsese, if you're a fan of these actors, if you're a fan of engrossing true life crime dramas, please give The Irishman your full attention. It is a great film. I th- it's going to to me it ranks among Scorsese's best. And you know, I I can't wait to see it again. It, again, it's a film that is three and a half hours that does not feel like its length at all. And like I said at the, at the in the early part of this review, it is a true testament to the powers of Scorsese and Schoonmaker in their masterful command of pacing that this film manages to resonate as well as it did, as it does. So yeah, so yeah, The Irishman, it's on Netflix now check it out um if you want to see it on the big screen i know there are some theaters that are some at least some like a lot of art house theaters that are playing it um so check it out if it's playing in your area in theaters if you want to catch it get the big screen experience um but yeah the irishman is not a film to be missed yeah so um so yeah those are the those are the, those are the films that i uh, checked out and uh, before I wrap up, a uh, couple other things. Uh, uh, one is I the Black Widow trailer, which just dropped, um, I believe, yesterday. Let me check it out here. I have it. I have it queued up here on YouTube. Yep, it dropped yesterday on uh, Marvel Entertainment's uh, YouTube channel. It currently has hit the refresh button here. As of this recording, it has over thirteen point eight million views. And it is number one. It's the number one trending YouTube video. And looking at the trailer, hey, you know it's it's a prequel because as you know, Black Widow died in Avengers Endgame. Uh, there's no coming back from being sacrificed uh, for the Soul Stone. Um, it looks it, hey, it looks like it could be a lot of fun. I mean, David Harbor is in it. Uh, I guess I guess. Uh, He's playing like a fat version of Russian Captain America. I don't know what his character's name is. You know, don't at me. Um, I, I like the fact that Florence Pugh is in it. Florence Pugh, she stars in uh, Midsommar, uh, which is an exquisite horror film, as well as Fighting With My Family, in which she plays um, WWE uh, wrestler Paige. Looking at looking at this, it kind of reminds me of um, uh red sparrow that that other russian espionage film starring jennifer hudson uh not jennifer hudson move jennifer lawrence which which came out last year um i think i think it could be like i said i think it could be it could be enjoyable you know it being a prequel i'm not expecting it to rock my world or anything visually it it has some has some uh some well i'm I'm, because i'm watching the trailer now visually it still has that same um kind of bog standard uh mcu house style in terms of its cinematography and visuals so there's no 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 real no real dynamic camera work uh as far as i can see but you know and, and i and i expect that the uh that the that the finished film will be more of the same once it comes out next may but hey you know what 
I, hey, Black Widow. Hey, I, I, what I say is better late than never. I think this this is a film that should have came out in the in the early um, phase one or phase two of the MCU. But this being a prequel, hey, you know, I th- I think this is a good way to kind of, you know, give uh, not only Black Widow her due at, in a solo feature, but also kind of give her a a more proper send off, if that makes any sense. Even though her character in Avengers Endgame, you know, played a pivot, pivotal role, but just seeing, but just seeing um, uh, Scarlett Johansson's character Natasha Romanoff, aka the Black Widow, kind of you know, show us what, just basically basically lead her own film, if you will. Uh, I think that would be the more substantial send-off, in my opinion. So, hey, uh, Black Widow coming out next May 2020. Eh, what the hell, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll, I'll, I'll see what it is. Like I said, I'm not expecting it to, to put any toot in my horn, but I think it'll be enjoyable. I mean, as, a, as, as, as pretty much... Almost all the MCU films are. I mean, it, it, they're nothing if not, you know, fine, fine spectacles you can watch and enjoy for what they are and, you know, move on about your day. So, yes, that about wraps it up for this uh, episode, this edition of Victor's Corner. So um, thank you all so much for listening in. Uh, thank you all for uh, chiming in on the chat. Um be sure to uh, you know uh, check us out next week. Hopefully, we will have a full-bodied episode uh, for y'all. Um, some upcoming um, episodes uh, that will that we'll be getting into. We will be reviewing uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi, which is the third and final installment in the Star Wars sequel trilogy. Um, like I said uh, in last week's episode, I did read uh, some of the leaks for the Rise of Skywalker and. All I have to say is you're in for it. You're in for it. Um, I don't like the fact that Palpatine has been resurrected for this film. I don't know how he would bring back Palpatine, even though he died in Return of the Jedi. But I don't know. I I think this is maybe this is J.J. Abrams, you know, just once again, going back to the well, you know, of pre-established properties and maybe I, I I don't I don't know I, I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, uh, judging judging a film sight unseen. We will we we will review review the film in detail like we did with the Last Jedi. So be sure to tune in for that uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, also, we will be getting into our top fives of 2019. Uh, so that'll be one of our last episodes of this year, of this month, December. So we'll get into our top five, um, you know, movies of the, movies of the year, video games, uh, wrestling matches, wrestlers, even um, all, all all that good stuff, all that good stuff. So be sure to tune in for that episode. And yes, that about wraps it up. So once again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, be sure to check us out on Facebook Live every Tuesday evening. You can also check out check out all of our, all of our episodes on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. Leave us that five star. Leave us with that five star review, and Google Play as well as other uh, podcasting platforms wherever are episodes happen to be so yes uh be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the codex prime podcast thank you so much for listening thank you so much for tuning in i am victor omoyo and as always i will catch you on the flip 
Peace out, nerds. Later.